the shift to digital is a it's a it's a one-way door uh, in general. Uh, it's it's not going back to the way things were, um, even if everyone, absolutely everyone, who you know started buying groceries during the pandemic isn't buying groceries online anymore. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Hello, folks. We have a special episode of The Pod lined up for you today. It's actually a replay of a recent retail think tank brainstorming session I had with Rick Watson, who is the founder and CEO of RMW Commerce Consulting. So for those of you who don't know, we've been running the retail think tank for a few weeks now. And essentially, I like to consider it a curated hub where you can get the latest and greatest of everything happening in retail, whether you're interested in omni-channel strategy, in-store design and experience, data and analytics, so much more. Our goal was to really hit on the core trends that we believe are driving this new era of retail, but also provide some unique perspectives, opinions, and tactical takeaways and best practices that we think our audience can apply in a meaningful way moving forward. So for today's conversation with Rick, we wanted to get into some of the latest, greatest, buzziest e-commerce trends. So if you don't know Rick, he is a very knowledgeable but opinionated person. That's why I like and respect him so much. So We didn't hold any boundaries up. We got into basically everything that I thought really rose to the top from a digital perspective. So whether you're interested in DTC or augmented reality, I guarantee you're going to get some great little nuggets and, and takeaways that you can apply here. So with that, let's get into the conversation. Hey, everyone, and welcome to our latest Retail Think Tank discussion. The Retail Think Tank is where the Retail Touchpoints team is bringing together the best and brightest minds in the industry to talk about the latest news, developments, tech trends, Nothing is off limits, really. And uh, really, our goal is to uncover some of the ways that brands and retailers can capitalize on some of the new business opportunities that have emerged and accelerated over the past year. That's why I personally am thrilled to have Rick Watson joining me today, founder and CEO of RMW Commerce Consulting. Rick, I know you're a busy man. Thank you so much for taking the time. No, no problem, Alicia. Thanks so much for having me. So you have pretty expansive retail expertise, but your sweet spot is um, in digital and e-commerce. I love seeing some of your commentary and hot takes (laughs) on LinkedIn personally. Um, And I I know the shift to digital has been a an ongoing discussion point in in the industry. And I'm sure you have some opinions on what's happening now. And of course, the longevity of, you know, this shift to digital that everyone is talking about. So let's start there and we'll, we'll dig into some specific trends after. Yeah. I mean, look at a high level, the shift to digital is a, it's a, it's a one-way door uh, in general. Uh, it's, it's not going back to the way things were. Um, even if, Everyone, absolutely everyone who, 
you know, started buying groceries during the pandemic, isn't buying groceries online anymore. Um, I, I think even in categories like that, at least half of it will stick. And you know, even outside of e-commerce, I think business travel will never be the same again. Um, you know, just due to what people were forced to do in the pandemic. And so I think e-commerce is part of that um, trend toward digitalization that is uh, will be with us for some time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I like that you brought up grocery because I know that is um, a particular category that we've been watching. Um, you know, we've been very interested to see what people are trying it for the first time because it's readily available now or, you know, even if they tried it out of necessity. And I feel like there were a lot of situations like that, right? Like people did it because they had to or because, you know, it was newly available and they said, hey, let's see if this works out for me. So um, I think, like you said, even if there's some um, backtracking by some folks, you know, the people who really love being in the store, there's still going to be progress. And I think that that's really the, the key takeaway there. Um Go ahead. Yeah, no, for sure. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely agree. So pre-pandemic, the gross, digital grocery penetration stats were pretty low, something like two, two and a half, three percent. And by all reports, they, it more than doubled during the pandemic to something like six, you know, six, seven, eight percent, depending on who you who you talk to. Uh, and there is just so much transformation happening in the grocery space right now. That's that's a that's a super fun uh, space to unpack. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, other than grocery, though, are there any other trends or um, you know moments of progress that have emerged over the past year that you, as someone who really um, focuses on consulting brands and, and helping them optimize their digital experiences, have there been any new developments that? You were just like, ah, oh, finally, or or something that that really sparked your interest that you think is worth noting in our discussion today. Um, yeah, as far as far as new things, I think some the the biggest thing for me is is these laggard industry. You know, like there's there's not going to be a whole bunch of new news about apparel and fashion and and in categories like this that have been digital uh, at pretty high penetration, fifty to sixty percent for and more for some time. Um, it's these laggard categories that I think are the most interesting, like home and furniture uh, and even beauty, uh, which has been, um, those have all accelerated digitally. And so to me, that's three, like those three categories, for instance, I, I, I think have had kind of that finally moment, uh, as you mentioned, which is, which is uh, fun to see. And I think a lot of them are, um, you know, in beauty, I think it has to do more with trying things on and being able to trust the brand and how it interacts. You're not going to get an allergy and, you know, all these things digital doesn't really solve. Um, and so there's still going to be challenges there. But thing like things like home and furniture, that's primarily like supply chain issues. You need to be able to get <laughs> items uh, across the country undamaged in a way that's convenient for a consumer to receive. And that's not a trivial problem. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think both of those um, categories, interestingly, have, have seen some really great progress in, um, you know, trying to validate those decision-making processes or, you know, create some clarity for consumers like AR, you know, both of those categories saw some really great progress yeah. with AR because of those 
reasons that you discussed, like you want to see how the shade looks on your skin tone or you want to see what the couch looks like in context. Um, so I think that's like one particular tech use case that, you know, we saw really emerge and, and come to light over the past year that, again, it was like that finally moment, like, okay, like these are practical use cases that actually make sense and support the decision-making process, even though those two worlds are are pretty different if you think about it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, there there's quite a bit of investment in AR tools, uh, not only uh, just in the startup world themselves, uh, social platforms uh, are either acquiring or developing their own AR VR tools. Facebook and TikTok have both made notable acquisitions and investments in the space. So I, th I think the next uh, generation will really not know a world where you can't uh, look at the stuff at your home or on your face uh, or like, wherever it is that you need to show products uh, without having to get something shipped to your home. Yeah. I think it definitely ties into, you know, the bigger trend that we've been tracking around the different measures, I, I guess, you know, brands are are making to, you know, draw consumers into their own branded customer experience. Like I know the, the DTC space ha has really reached an, an interesting point of, um, you know, I don't want to say maturity, but I guess evolution over the past year. So like, for, ex for example, you know, we saw brands like you know, Elf Cosmetics really doubled down on like building out their social presence and, you know, embracing those new capabilities. But then we also saw like PepsiCo starting like their own e-commerce sites, right? Mm -hmm. Like two very different sides of, you know, the world, I guess you could say. But, you know, both were kind of investing in these DTC business models and experiences and, um, you know, trying to own more of that customer experience and, of course, own more of that data. So, I mean, do you have a particular take on how this space will continue to evolve? I mean, especially in conjunction with consumers using digital more. Like, do you think these two things kind of correlate or, you know, impact each other? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, you know, I think PepsiCo is an interesting example because you have these enormous brands that are used to right. selling in a very traditional way to retailers and distributors into mass markets. And so you're shipping truckloads of products. Uh, and I think what they're finding is that consumers want something a little bit more personalized. Like clearly, you still need to be on shelves because that's where the volume is. But if you want to develop better products, you need to know more about your consumers. And as a big brand, it's getting hard to buy consumer data because that um, consumers are sharing a little bit less of it and there's starting to be regulations about it. It's very, you know, it's harder to track things on your iPhone, you know, just in the past few months. Um, and there's a big privacy battle between Apple and Facebook and, and things like that. So the sh long story short is that the brands who have more direct access to consumer data will be able to develop better products and serve their consumers better. And so some of them will create, it's not just about digital, it's about physical experiences that combine digital technologies too. Yeah, great, great point. I think around you know what, what's been happening with iOS because it seems like those opt-in rates 
are not very good. <laughs> and, and I'm curious, like, what the I don't know. Have you responded yes is? to any one of them yet? Like, I, every app I open and, asks uh, Maybe me I if, shouldn't say that I because be, I covered. If I want to be tracked, and I, I don't think I've answered yes one time. Right. And I'm like, I'm wondering, is that just because we're all becoming increasingly, you know, in tune with how this works, you know, like that our devices are listening and like how that data is being used or if it's just like everyone's just gotten a bit jaded, I guess, or, or guarded about, you know, what they're opening up to. I mean, what's, I, I, what's your take? Because I, I think the answer is a little bit simpler. This is a pretty naked power move from mm. Apple against these social networks uh, for legitimate business reasons. And so they're able to have this veneer of we're a good corporate citizen and we're, we're protecting our consumers. But on the other hand, they are the ones that are now going to be the only ones that own this data and decide what consumers can do or, and can't do. And so you, you, you can look at any software app developed in the past 40 years and statistics say whatever the default setting is will be some what 80, 90, 95% of people choose. And when the um, default setting is nothing, if right. there's the answer to the least scary option looks like not to track. And so I would say the default has become opt out, which means that mm -hmm. my prediction is that at least I would be shocked if less than 60% of people opt out, like completely shocked. Um, because who's going to say like, yeah, please take all my data, you know, right. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> might as well. You're given, got most given the choice. <laughs> I knew it before. And then before, like, remember like last year, no one cared. Like, right. Like all these, like the social network, uh, not, you know, not the social network, but there was another, um, there was another movie recently about how much she's tracking. It was like, I turned it off. I'm like, I don't want to know anymore. Um, right. Was about it the, how social much the social dilemma, 100%. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Like it's stuff you know, but you don't want to think about it and you don't want somebody to put it in your face. And so Apple is kind right. of putting it in consumers' faces a little bit. Right. Because I, I know like we've seen data that basically says like, oh, like people have no problem with you taking their data and using it as long as you give them something good in return. Like, do you think right. that still holds weight or do you think that, you know, we're, we're noticing or, or seeing a tipping point there? I, I, I think it's 100%. True. I think if Apple hadn't done this, it, this wouldn't be a conversation. Uh, okay. It would just really. be business as usual. Look, I think, it, I think it's business and usual. I, I do think there, is, there are legitimate reasons for this to happen. I think there is incremental progress that the industry is making on its own. Uh, for instance, Google is getting rid of the ability to track third-party cookies in Chrome uh, yeah. and, and things like that. But other the the big forcing functions have been a big tech player that can force everyone like Apple or a big government regulation like GDPR or in California CCPA uh, that that companies suddenly have to uh, comply with that creates the step changes I, I we've seen so far it's it's not coming from consumers truly got it. Yeah. So I guess the connecting point to that is, you know, we, we've talked about how brands are embracing DTC to own more of the customer experience, kind of create that opportunity to learn more about their consumers. And now we have this new development. Um, 
So, I mean, looking at holistically the the e-commerce experience or what's required for success, is it creating these opportunities for the consumer to voluntarily share more about what they want, what they're looking yeah. for, so you can kind of own that relationship a little bit more? That That's right. Like, um, you know, hey, I'm a person who lives in the United States and I have three people in my family and... Um, we like sports and outdoors, or we like go, to go to the movies. And so the more an app is able to learn more about your lifestyle and business, the better service it can offer you or develop new products for you or show you better ads or like whatever it is service that they're in, um, they, can, they can target and, and track you better. So I think where, <clears throat> where this is going is it's, it's definitely going to be a little bit more um, – opt in versus it's very hard to opt out, which is what it, what it was a few years ago. Um, it, it'll be very, I think it'll be a little bit more clear going forward what you're getting yourself into um, in, in some of these platforms because you actually filled out a form for a reason, like you wanted a discount or promotion or like whatever it is you, you were doing. Or you walked into a Pepsi store and it scanned your face and it put a Pepsi can. I, I'm not, I'm, going crazy here, but um, <laughs> That's probably a few more years out. <laughs> it, it may be. It may be. No, I, I think that that, you know, curation of the experience lends itself to some good opportunities because you're basically saying, you meaning the brands, are, are saying, here's what we can do. Like what do you want us to do? Like I think it was Nike that kind of has like these new parameters that you can kind of self-select like what you want to receive and like what you you know, want to be tracked. I mean, it seems like that kind of gives the consumer a bit more control, which helps build trust. And then like the brand can still achieve what it needs to achieve in order to meet that service expectation. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's the case for sure. Excellent. And, and I feel like this kind of ties to, you know, some of the, the tactics that we've seen, you know, figures like, Amazon really being praised for and like the fact that they have all this data and they use it so well. Um, and now they're expanding into, well, they have been expanding into devices and that's other data streams. I mean, th this kind of ties to the bigger topic of, you know, marketplaces um, and, you know, new developments around advertising models and services there. I mean, is, is there going to be an impact in that area of the world with all this? Or is it just a case of like, okay, you're you're shopping in these marketplaces. This kind of comes with the experience. Yeah, I mean, I think advertising is it's one of the hottest uh, growing business models online now. I mean, Google and Facebook have been the kings. I mean, Google first, then Facebook. Um, yeah. But in the past, I would say four years, um, the um, Amazon has been the fastest growing. Uh, from an advertising platform point of view. Um, and that has created a huge new source of margin for them. Outside of AWS, uh, advertising is their fastest gross bu growing business by far. And um, it's actually growing faster than AO AWS is right now. And I think a lot of other big retailers are seeing that too. So two big, big players that have been investing in advertising in the past two or three years are Instacart and Walmart. Uh, so one of them back to Instacart. grocery, Instacart is a huge advertising company um, that gets money from the retailers, the brands, um, 
um, you know, there as a big supplement to their business model. Instacart is interesting. I feel like I'm hearing more and more about these delivery and, and fulfillment <laughs> partners inching their way into, you know, retail conversations. And I know like they need retailers to essentially run their business, but I'm almost wondering if they're going to in some way be perceived as a retailer in their own right, because they're kind of curating all these different sources. Um, yeah, that that's very, that's very fascinating. And I mean, I guess going back to your point around, you know, other retailers trying to replicate the Amazon model and, and you know, see that new strong revenue stream. Um, I mean, how do you think this space is going to shake out? Like, is it just going to be like everyone kind of chasing after each other and like trying to <laughs> build out these capabilities? And it's just going to like, how is that going to impact the customer? I guess is really the big question, right? Like if everything becomes a marketplace, what does that leave the customer? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, look, the uh, customers have voted with their feet in the last 10 years and that marketplace, the rise of marketplaces has been undeniable. In any market you look at around the world, marketplace share of wallet is 60, 70% uh, at least. Um, whether it's in Asia and the US, Europe, you're really anywhere you go. So consumers love it because it means lower prices and, and better selection. Um, not all marketplaces have great supply chain performance, but many of them are getting there uh, or it's improving. Um, I think the, the the key battle for these big retailers is how to remain relevant. And if they're fighting a marketplace, so like how does Walmart compete against Amazon and how does Target compete against Amazon? And um, the, the answer that they've taken so far is how can we use our stores as an advantage? Um, because we have consumers, you know, Target, one of a fascinating stat in the past two weeks uh, in their earnings call was that uh, over 100% growth in uh, curbside pickup in Target year wow. over year, which is a tremendous stat. And something you can't, you know, there's no Amazon story you could drive up to that I know about, um, you, know, you know, except for Whole Foods. And there are not that many of the stores uh, compared to Targets and Walmarts. So I think those retailers are trying to remain relevant uh, and build a different kind of fulfillment market to capture uh, consumer uh, kind of consistent purchases. Yeah. And I mean, if, if you're kind of looking at the bigger retail universe, that creates more opportunities for the smaller brands that have you know, relied so heavily on Amazon, like maybe that's an opportunity to diversify. Like, I don't know, is there value in, in looking at that, like marketplaces as a more holistic strategy? Like, okay, like let's figure out which platforms we need to be on and, and what's relevant for our customers and what's good for our business. Like, do you think that's where it's headed? Yeah, definitely. Look, for the up-and-coming brands, marketplaces have always been a good way to introduce new products, to gain new customers. Um Depending on your point of view, there look, there are definitely Amazon-only brands uh, that are essentially yeah. private label. You go on Amazon, there's just millions and millions of products. Many of them are Chinese. Um, mm -hmm. That all they do is they they, you know, the the business model is like look at reviews of popular products, develop a new product, and launch it, and they just right. repeat and that over and over. Yeah. So yeah. for those, I would say, excluding that from the discussion, a, a typical brand that wants to be known by a consumer, 
Diversification is the name of the game. You don't want all your eggs in any one single basket. You want your own website. You want to be selling through retailers. You want to be on these marketplaces. Um, and you can have a healthy business as long as you can service all of them uh, well. Yeah. No, this has been fantastic, Rick. Well, we touched on DTC, personalization, marketplaces, feel like very different worlds, but I feel like we found a few <laughs> intersection points there. Um, so appreciate you kind of following me along on this journey. But to close out, I mean, again, we touched on essentially the, the core e-commerce trends and, and drivers of you know progress, I feel like over the past year. Are there any closing trends that you think will impact the industry moving forward? Anything in particular that you're tracking that, um, you know, you're encouraging your clients to keep a close eye on? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, I guess it depends on the type of client there they are. Um, yeah. If it's uh, a traditional wholesale client who sells a lot to retailers and distributors, it's like, how do I engage consumers directly? That's a clear investment path for them. I think, if someone is a direct-to-consumer business but hasn't experimented with marketplaces, I think that's a clear growth avenue uh, for them. Uh, the grocery market is getting so complicated now that I, I don't even know what to say anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, just between Instacart and Walmart and Amazon and GoPuff now that you see out mm -hmm. there and, and, and similar. So, um that whole idea of the last mile is is one of the most interesting trends I'm tracking. Uh, and there's even like a whole name for the space that VCs are investing in now. And the name is uh, Quick Commerce. It basically means items huh. in, in 10 minutes or less. Okay. And so same day is not enough anymore. It's it, 10 minutes is the new standard. Very interesting. So, I mean, in terms of like the the list of priorities or, you know, the, I guess the strategic takeaways, right? That That's really our goal with these conversations to, to give, um, you know, viewers a few nuggets that, you know, they can look into or possibly integrate into their forward looking plans. Would you say that, you know, that that's going to be probably in like the top five list or even top three list, you know, through, through the rest of the year, like what I, that last mile experience looks like? I think last mile is huge for almost any retailer because I think consumer expectations are going to keep rising uh, in terms of their delivery time expectations. So everyone, if you have stores, uh, how to leverage them in your fulfillment network. Um, if you don't have stores, how can you keep your supply chain costs down and get inventory closer to consumers so that you can continue offering a better experience? Those, those are some of the biggest, I, I think, trends that people, I mean, those, you know, those aren't 100% new, um, but it's, it's going to keep getting more important. Yeah. Absolutely, Rex. Some, some really great points. And thank you again so much for taking the time out. I know this is a very busy time for <laughs> a lot of folks out there. So I know your time is precious and I appreciate you taking the time out to chat with me. All right. Thanks so much, Alicia. And uh, to all of you, thank you for taking the time out to join us for this conversation. Um, if you're looking for more insights from experts like Rick, um, for some more insights around e-commerce, fulfillment, the whole gamut, um, you know, encourage you to check out the Retail Think Tank Hub. We have new content being uploaded on the daily, so you can get all the insights you need to uncover some new ideas, inspiration, best practices so much more. Um, so be on the lookout for more great conversations like this in the coming weeks. And of course, if you have any suggestions, feedback, comments, um, 
our ears are open. You can reach us on social media and of course at retailtouchpoints.com. Thanks everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.